Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Everyday Muslim. If you like this podcast, please make sure to share it with your friends and family. If you'd like to support it, go to patreon.com slash emuslimpodcast. We just started a video version of the podcast, so if you'd like to check it out, the link will be in the description. Lastly, thank you so much for all of your support. Alright, assalamu alaikum, Imam John. How are you doing today? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, we're blessed in so many ways and thanking God for every moment. Alright, so... Today we're going to be moving on from where we were last week with the call to fight back. So, what took place and when did it take place? And what was going on at the time? Yeah. So, the uh, anti-Islam or Islamophobic uh, movement has pictured the life of the Prophet ﷺ in two categories. They picture it in when he was weak and didn't have really any followers and no power. And so he was very patient and kind and generous and he encouraged these things and the scriptures he revealed encouraged such things. And then when he moved to Medina and there was a you know, large following of over thousands and um, now he has political authority. Now he started his ambitious desire to dominate the world and kill all the infidels and all that stuff. So that's the story that, that, that they try to read into uh, the biography. Actually... Um, considering the system of Arabia, and it happened on three or four different occasions that I could think of off the top of my head, but for brevity, we'll just say people came to the Prophet and suggested, like Abdurrahman bin Awf and Umar al-Khattab and others, how about we just assassinate Abu Jahl and Umayyah bin Khalaf while they're sleeping, you know, or catch them while they're, you know, off? Because in their culture, they're not like some sort of a civilized society. You know, it's not like people will know what ha- they will, if they don't have the the actual people who did it if somebody doesn't claim they did it it would be hearsay and it would create a lot of problems that even still with the kind of uh, asylum they had with Banu Hashim it wouldn't it, it wouldn't for sure have made the you know people attack the muslims because it, it could have been anybody right but the prophet actually told them no um, even when it could be a secret operation that they could get away with he told them god has commanded us to be patient and to trust in him and work together and build our faith and build our character. And then after the Muslims have uh, migrated, there is narrations that the verse comes either just before the migration or within the first six months of the migration. But the verse came down Surah Al-Hajj, أُذِنَ لِلَّذِينَ يُقَاتَلُونَ بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُوا That God is now giving permission uh, to those who have been fought against and oppressed and removed from their homeland to fight back, to establish a military to show that they are now a formidable opponent. They will not take to oppression and standardized attacks. And so this is uh, the first verse that came down. And in the context of the verse, it justifies the whole concept of a war um, struggle as a means of checking one people by another so that people would have the freedom of religion. So it says, if God did not empower people to check others who are oppressors, then God, then what would happen is there would be many places of worship destroyed 
where God's name is mentioned often. And so it mentions churches, it mentions Jewish temples, it mentions monasteries where monks live and, and all of that, and the mosque. And it puts them all as one thing. Meaning what? Everybody has the right to their religious worship. So when the Prophet, peace be upon him, did send an army anywhere, he always commanded them. If you happen to find monks or holy places or temples, you do not touch that. You do not attack those people. They're not who, who we're dealing with, right? Because they have the right to do that, even if it is the most falsest of worship. I mean, Muslims ruled Hind, uh, India for like seven centuries with a caliphate, a theocratic rule by Sharia. And so all those temples are there and there's a billion Hindus to testify that Islam did not teach killing the infidels because they're infidels, non, non-believers as it were. So now the way this first was exercised was and it's seen in our modern context as like crooked and backward and all of that. But when the Muslims had to leave, they basically, many of them were actually robbed by Quraysh. There's many narrations of people getting robbed. Their wealth was taken from them. They had to just go by themselves. Others were kidnapped. And others had, because they were scared of all this, others had to just leave their entire wealth and belongings back behind. And so guess where that went? The Quraysh took it. So the first application of this was to send targeted groups of militia men to go uh, attack a caravan and the attack would be like okay we need our wealth so we're going to find we're going to take the wealth that you have <laughs> they boycotted them for 3 years and punished them financially for 3 years so that they could get on their feet cuz now they're just living there in Medina with nothing right and they you know it's a very tough life with nothing so that's how it was first ap- applied and so then after uh, some months of that, and it happened like two or three different uh, caravans, um, then the Prophet then got together 300 and said, you know, we're going to meet them in between Medina and Mecca. And there's a huge um, caravan uh, that is leaving, uh, that is coming back from Syria. And so maybe we can uh, stop them. So what is known as the Battle of Badr was originally actually not like a war between people over political interest, it was actually to, the idea was to get set because there was a huge amount of wealth in that caravan. So finally just settle our financial situation and to prove how formidable we are, you know, because it's a large body of people. So that's kind of how it first uh, took place. Um, And then the Muslims were quite miraculously uh, successful considering that they were expecting on getting a caravan that does have men with weapons but they're not expecting to fight so they don't necessarily have armor and things like that and lots of arrows and and but what happened was the spy for the uh, caravan found out about the muslims and they went to mecca and they did amass a large army of over a thousand men and they came with fully equipped with a military plan to fight a battle um so that's the that's the beginning of the uh, the violent struggle, as it were. Right, and I think you already got into this, but um, how like could you explain how that fighting was justified? It's justified, you know, because these uh, people have oppressed and abused, and one of their main oppressions was uh, thievery. So they were either boycotting them and completely depleting them of all financial resources while they were living in Mecca. And then when they left, they basically robbed them and forced them to leave without their belongings. So um, Islam it has never been supportive in any way, shape, or form going into an actual civilian place 
um, so like Mecca as a city, the Prophet ﷺ was not going into, not sending anybody into there, just caravans of, because what is a caravan? Caravan is run by wealthy people. Um, and the, they have employees, and then they have the people who own it. And then the main people who would own the caravan would be Abu Sufyan and uh, Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab and all those type guys, Umayya bin Khalaf, who are the enemies of the Muslims and the ones who are the primary forces um, uh, against the Muslims. And they, they strategically, they looked for caravans that were known to be owned by these people. So that was the justification of that, of that reality. Okay, then um, what lessons, what modern lessons can be taken away from this? Well, I would say, um, before I go into modern lessons, I think we all agree that um, having a standing military is a normal thing for any state, right? All, all, every country in the world, to my knowledge, has a standing military. And in that society, people who were, didn't have a dog in the fight... Right. So we think now we're thinking right now in terms of, um, you know, modern American values and, you know, societies have grown to see things in a different way. But if we even break down the modern situation, isn't it true that the United States military, whenever it does what it does over the last 20 years, it destroys hospitals and schools and women and children are killed in their bombings right the whole interventionism thing yeah well it's basically yeah interventionism as well as just you know widespread attack on a whole entire city and killing a lot of innocent people uh they call it collateral damage so madeline albright who was the secretary of state back in the i think the uh, bush one she was asked about the 500,000 uh, people who were killed in Iraq after the first Gulf War, which was about removing Saddam from invading Kuwait. And uh, her response was, this is collateral damage. Without any, she didn't look guilty. She didn't look, you know, this is just how it is. It's a war, 500,000 people. Had it. So if we look at that, we'll say, this is wrong. But is everybody in an outcry in the world about what happened there. How about Afghanistan? How about Yemen? How about Somalia? How about, right? Like people are in an uproar. America is this terrorist nation. Like if you said that, most people would say, what are you talking about? You see what I'm saying? If it, if it was Americans, would it be considered collateral damage? You, you, oh, and see, that's a no. whole other story. You see what I'm saying? So back then now, so now we've proven that our own modern civilizational claim to authority and greatness is, is definitely deficient in many ways, massively. I'm talking about human life here. In that society, the person who lives in Arabia and understands the custom of life and reality and the, the rule of law as they knew it, they wouldn't have seen the Prophet Muhammad and his companions as raiders who are robbing caravans. They would see them, according to tribal system, as getting back their rights that were taken from them, according to the way it's normal for everyone. It's hard to grasp that, but that's how they saw it. Nobody was thinking this is immoral and corrupt and robbing and all of that, right? So that's that issue. Second issue is, after that, the message was that we are here in Medina. We're strong. We've formed an army. We're willing to fight. So just leave us alone, right? But then the Quraysh, their ego and everything, they decided to make it a literal war in hopes to exterminate 
Islam and the Prophet So they brought 3,000 soldiers the next year Right to Medina Like literally on the outskirts The Uhud, the mountain Is right there in Medina It's right on the side of it So that was the next uh, incursion So the Muslims obviously have to fight Because there's 3,000 people there Similarly, you have uh, a Jewish tribe Banu Mustalaq That were treacherous to the original arrangement the Prophet ﷺ called for, which we talked about in our last session, which was when everybody would respect each other and they would not uh, support people against them, right? And so the, the Muslims had to deal with that. It's a treachery of a, of a social contract that they had all agreed to. And then you have Ahzab. So now you have a couple of years later, the, some other Jewish tribe, Qurayza and others, they join with Ghattafan, which is allied with the Quraysh, and they bring 10,000 to Medina. So now you have another local Jewish tribe who are, you know, making treason. Muslims are not against them. They're not harming them. They're actually owning their amazing, beautiful contribution to world history of a social contract that respects a multi-faith um, multicultural society that is interactively working while respecting everybody's autonomy and their beliefs and in their uh, tribal I believe even today treason does hold the death penalty correct? exactly in most in many countries right um, in this country many people were found basically went missing in this country when the communist revolution was happening in the 50s and the 60s so when that when that 60s revolution got to the height leaders of that movement were found missing Right. So um, back to our point. So with the verses of the Quran, it's very adamant that قَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ So if you go to Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number 191 through 194, you're going to read, Fight for the sake of God those who fight you, and do not be the aggressors. God does not love the aggressors. And then it will go on to say that if they uh, cease fighting you, then don't fight them. But the enmity is could only be held against oppressors, right? People who use their power to cause harm to people under their authority, right? Um, and people who attack others' livelihood and well-being and their peace. So you will find time in Jannah if people incline to peace that you're in a war with, then you must incline to peace. That's the Qur'an. So Qur'an is only legislating a normal system of self-preservation, guarantee of rights, and the, and the right to you know flourish as Muslims. So similarly, when they sent the message to Byzantine Empire and the Persian Empire, this is saying, I'm the messenger of God, I've been sent... You know, for the Christian, you know, Jesus is my brother before, who is a prophet of God, who is the Messiah. And if you embrace Islam, you'll have double the, the reward, having loved and followed Jesus, now having the final prophethood understanding, you know. And the response was not, oh, yeah, we respect you and it's all good, human rights, secularism, freedom of religion. That didn't exist. It was, to take the head off the ambassador. <laughs> That's what the Christians did. And the Persian ruler you know, it was communicated to them, and they basically t told the ambassador, you know, you go tell them that we're going to prove that we are your masters, and you Arabs have always been our slaves. We just have no need of your barren desert land. Otherwise, we'd come in there and take it over, and you'd be our subjects, right? 
And so we can come make a, a lesson of your prophet if he thinks he's going to spread his way, you know. And so they see that there's this growing unified movement of people of faith in there. So then both of them are bulking up military uh, advance. Those are huge empires, right? So the Prophet ﷺ and his companions and the Muslims, you know, when they find themselves... Uh, you know, seeing this threat, they're basically like, imagine if Puerto Rico became Muslim or whatever became decided according to their new way, um, they would have to defend that. Well, Puerto Rico is not connected to anything. Imagine Mexico. Mexico is a lot more populated. Imagine Mexico decided, you know what, I'm going to take over uh, uh, North and South America. <laughs> you know, that would be insane or absurd, right? The Muslims went there, they won those battles, they pushed them back, pushed them back. And what they found from people who lived there who were not part of the military campaigns, that those both of those nations were oppressing the people who lived under there. So in terms of, you know, massively high taxes, uh, taking women for nobles um, and soldiers and things like that, all kind of terrible corruptions and oppressions that were taking place. So opening the doors for people to know about Islam because they're definitely not going to let you come preach Islam uh, peacefully in their in their empire, right? They have an emperor and they have an empire and usually there's a religion. So there's Zoroastrianism and there's Christianity, right? You don't just come in there, you know, oh, we're the great, you know, final message of God and you should follow us, you know, you're, you're threatening the fabric of this empire. So, you know, back then, the reason why there were wars is simply because of this imperial perpetual state of war that existed i mean there's no such thing as sovereign nations borders none of that everybody has an empire every empire has ambitions to grow and become some great legacy for dominance or whatever right so the muslims were never about dominance or wealth or power it was always about justice and offering the means for somebody to know about and potentially embrace islam if they want to that's why in world history you don't find until 500 years later, after Muslims took control over places, until the majority of the inhabitants of those lands actually were, were Muslim. And that's because it was a gradual process of people learning and listening and hearing and witnessing Islam from their experience. And they just, you know, decided over time, many of them decided this is what we believe is the truth. So, you know, this idea of Islam spreading by the sword as a religion is absolutely false. Is The idea of an Islamic state or empire spreading by the sword is true but it wasn't about subjugating subduing controlling taking resources um or killing non-believers or forcing them to convert none of those had any part of that and that's not because i'm trying to whitewash history it's because that's the facts of history and the scripture is what decided that the quran says La you cannot compel people to believe uh, tell the truth tell them the truth from your lord whoever wants to believe can believe whoever wants to disbelieve let them disbelieve right so many other verses on this issue right but the powers that be which have been writing history now for some hundreds of years are the christians and we live in a christian dominant western european influenced society they have pictured their own history as both uh well we weren't as civilized like we are now today even though when we look at the modern wars we see even worse you know in terms of massive destruction and killing of innocent people you know the atomic bomb is the two, the huge the, the most massive attack on humanity were two atomic bombs and that's the united states did that and everybody fears that right that's why we're in the position we're in but it's not a overtly said 
situation because there's a World Bank. And guess who's the most influential figure in the World Bank, right? And so everybody needs their resources. Everybody needs everything. So at the end of the day, did Muslim rulers call for unjust wars? Did some soldiers uh, decide to do things that were evil and kill people? And, and Yes, this has happened. But those are not representatives of Islam. Those are just like modern manifestations such as IDIS, ISIS or whatever. They're, they're following their own desires and their own power trip. So I think it's very important for everybody to know that nowadays... Is those verses that talked about the need for establishing the opening of these lands so that people could know about Islam, is that valid today? No, it's not. Because the world has agreed in the World Human Rights Declaration of Geneva that says everyone has the right to their beliefs and their autonomy and their, you know, uh, livelihood. And so if you want to go talking about this religion here or there, the world has agreed simply talking about a religion is is not you know telling others about a religion should not be a means uh, for uh, any abuse. So because of that, then those verses have no use today. Um, so this is I think in the modern context, what it is is right now we look at okay, as Muslim countries find themselves in a place where they're threatened. Um, so for example, Palestine, right? Are Palestinians living? In a Mecca or a Medina situation Well in terms of their power And their ability to do something To benefit themselves in terms of fight a battle They're not They cannot fight a battle and win And if they do The, the place where wars are won today Which is media and public opinion They have control over that They'll call them terrorists right? So there has to be For every time and place and circumstances Just like the Prophet ﷺ was in Mecca God commanded him to be patient for whatever reason. And in Medina, God commanded him to establish a military for a reason. Um, so for us here in America, we definitely need to be educating people. This is the fundamental issue here is either omitting important parts of history or the teachings of Islam or twisting and distorting them in order to present a uh, white European favorable civilized Great, uh, you know, culture and history versus a dark, violent, uh, hateful, you know, uh, draconian Muslim uh, society. So we're presenting it as a miniature side note. Yeah, yeah. Just oh, that's the Muslims. They did that, you know. Rather than there's all kind of amazing accomplishments. Okay, then I guess that concludes today's topic, inshallah. <laughs> 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 Jazakallah khairan. Yeah, Jazakallah khairan for your time. Inshallah. Alaykum as-salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.